0: You're listening to the IBC Podcast, your international baseball
1: career guide. Now, here's your host, David Burns. Hey guys, it's episode number 58, and I'm really pumped on this one because it's an amazing story. Probably the longest overseas career story that I've heard, and he's been all over the place. His name is Boomer Prinstein, and uh, many of you will know who he is, and those of you that don't know are about to you're going to know him by the end of this because he goes into massive amounts of detail about his story. He loves to talk. He's a good storyteller. Uh, I really enjoyed interviewing him. We talked for about three hours and uh, so I'm going to have to do multiple parts to this interview uh, because no one's going to sit and listen to the whole story in one sitting. So you will have to tune in to the next episode to see how he had a rough start in his baseball career overseas. But persevered through it and established a very long playing career overseas and then that led to a career off the field within baseball and uh, he'll tell you more about it right now in this interview with Boomer Prinstein. Just a quick pause for our sponsor, Sambat. IBC is now a supplier for Sambat in Europe. So any clubs looking for team orders can contact me at d.burns at baseballjobsoverseas.com and we'll hook you up. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. Are, am I calling you Boomer or am I calling you Justin? What, what, what's, how, how do I feel yeah. about this? Well... Where did Boomer come from? It's, Let's go uh, with that, and then where did from here.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I guess I was always destined to do something with baseball since I was a little kid. I was throwing things against the wall. I guess out of my crib or something at a year or two years old, and my father uh, said, "There's a lot of booming noise going on," so he used to call me Little Boomer. And when I got taller and bigger than anybody in the family, so now I'm just Boomer, but. Yeah, I was always Boomer uh, growing up. That was just a baseball nickname or a childhood nickname. And uh, Justin is, uh, I don't know, I, I never never really got accustomed to, to Justin. So
1: Yeah, it actually felt weird welcoming you to the podcast <laughs> and saying Justin. I, didn't even, I had to actually think about it for a second. Um, <laughs> so why don't you take us uh, back to your college days and then how that ended up taking your career overseas?
0: Sure. I... Um, I was playing ball at, at George Washington in, in D.C., which is a D1 school for all the Europeans listening, and uh, we had a real good team. I wasn't, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, one of the, the studs on the team. I, I mean, our junior year, we went over 40 games. We had half of our team go on and play uh, affiliated pro ball. Uh, we had a third-team All-American. We had a guy drafted in the first five rounds. Um, a few guys make it up to AAA, so it was it was a very solidly staffed team. And but I got some playing time. I you know I did well in, in short spurts. And obviously, as as any college player has a desire, you know, you I, I wanted to play pro ball. I didn't know what that meant or how that entailed. I knew that I was undersized, but I still threw pretty hard for my size. You know, five foot eleven, threw in the upper eighties as a right-handed pitcher. And it was just coming in coming at a time where guys are now throwing in, you know, routinely in in the low to mid-90s. So Mm -hmm. I definitely had a below-average fastball from from a pro standpoint. But um, somewhere in the world, it would be probably a pretty good fastball. So I was very, very lucky at at, at GW. I had an assistant coach there. Uh, His name's Brad Gooding. And he had played a summer and coached a summer in in the Dutch League, in the second division there. And I remember talking to him about just – Baseball and, and, and opportunities, and he said, "You know, you'd be a perfect candidate for going over overseas, going over to Europe to play." I was 22 at the time. I had never left the U.S. or, or Canada. I mean, not even Mexico, not even yeah. you know, nothing. I I'd never been overseas anywhere. I had no idea what that even entailed. But I took I took that seriously, you know. And my senior year, I I was I was up and down. I thought maybe if I have a good performance. Against some, you know, better schools, we played some top ten teams in the country. We played, you know, North Carolina, Virginia. Maybe I'd get a, a, a sniffing, um, you know. And I ended up actually getting some pro workouts um, after after I graduated. The guy that I was working out with, I mean, just to show you how close it was, the guy that I was working out with was also undrafted from my team in college. Um, same as Josh Wilkie. and in these. You know, post draft pro workouts where they say you have no chance, and there's hundreds of guys that show up, and you know they 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 watch you throw five pitches and they say thanks, see you later. Um, Josh ended up getting signed by the Washington Nationals when it's a rookie ball, and then climbed his way all the way up to the system and and made it to AAA and and was in you know big league spring training. So those things do happen, and to have that so close, yeah. you know, I always felt like I, if I just keep playing somewhere something good will happen. That's always, that is my philosophy. So, um, you know, long story short, I, I had, I, 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 contacted, uh, Brad Gooding again after, after the, the pro workouts didn't, didn't work out. And, uh, he found me a bunch of offers and I basically had like 10 or 15 offers to choose from, from places that I never heard of. Now I know where they are, but I had offers from Austria and England and Belgium and, so how did he have all
1: these connections? Because this was a while ago. When was this?
0: This is 2006. So yeah, this is you know now almost a decade ago.
1: So he was over playing in Europe for a number of years and built these connections, or was a was he a he, scout? Or? He,
0: yeah, he had no. He had a guy. He, he was only only he was only in Europe for like a year, and um, he had a guy that sort of like you that was that was helping people out, and he had a connection to some of these clubs. And this is like. <laughs> This is predating Facebook, really, in Europe, and this is, you know, the, a lot of the way that we communicate and we, the forums that we use now to, to help people out, I mean, you're, not to plug your, your site right away, but, like, your site is amazing in, in what it's able to do and how it's able to help guys. That really didn't exist in 2006, so, you know, the information wasn't really out there. You really had to know somebody that knew somebody, um, yeah. I was very lucky that I went to GW because it was a Division One program. You could look up the stats at the time online, yeah. and it was just more legitimate than, some, probably, some what other guys did. So um, that that was how I got my foot in the door in 2006. I had a bunch of offers. I had no idea what to choose or how to choose it,
1: or which which so leagues I, are the better leagues or anything like that. Eh?
0: No idea. You know, I I knew from from Brad that the Dutch League was really good, and, and you hear things about Italy, but I had no connections to Italy and. Uh, didn't seem like the Dutch league was really interested in me at the time, so I went and took uh, an offer from a team in Belgium, who basically said that they had a guy the year before that played for them and that ended up in the Dutch league, and they offered the most money. And I thought, hey, that's it's close to the Dutch league, and they offered a lot of money, so I'll go do that. <laughs>
1: so you went to Belgium.
0: Went and to Belgium. So,
1: how, what were your first impressions? Like, were you prepared for it, or like, did it? Did you? When you first arrived, was it kind of a little bit of a culture shock and baseball shock, or, or how was it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was everything that you just said. I remember the first thing when I got off the plane, and the, and the, the, the GM or the coach or the manager, I forget who, I was jet-lagged, but I think it was the GM. He, he looked at me, and he goes, oh, I uh, thought you were taller, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember just thinking, man, that – you know, because you're list- you're always listed, yeah. You know, in college baseball, like an inch or two, they always give you an inch or two. Yeah. So I was listed at six feet. I'm probably five eleven, really, with cleats, probably five ten and a half. You know, on a on in normal street clothes. So uh that was the first thing he said to me, and I was like, oh boy, this is going to be this is going to be interesting. So yeah, it was. I was not prepared for it. I mean, just being in Belgium, it's Western, you know, but. Uh, the different language, the different food, and then the, what really hit me was going to baseball and how, I guess, not amateurish it was, but it was supposed to be a professional experience, yet after practice, these guys would just sit there and drink beer, yeah. you know, and I'm like, wait, you know, I'm coming from a D1 college program, I need to go to the gym, I need to hit the weights after after I'm done throwing, I need to yeah. run, you know, and I got to, so in my mind i was like hey i gotta focus on being the best player i can be for this team and i and i saw that as a challenge um and then they were like well he doesn't really socialize with us you know the the, the way we want him to you know so, so immediately I, I was like at this like for like stop everything i know about being a baseball player and and just do this weird thing where they're drinking beer like right on the field or you know go after what i what how i know how to do it so
1: yeah and that that is the major problem that most guys have and <laughs> i think that has caused problems in the past from prior to my website anyway and since my website is a lot of these guys come over and it, they're they're not ready for that or they weren't explained the way baseball is here in a lot of these countries and Um, some are obviously more professional than others but and then this often leads to like dissatisfaction from one end or the other and maybe you're in you know an early ending to the contract or or a bitter ending and uh,
0: and that's basically what happened in my first ever experience i i mean i was you could say i was fired i mean it's something that probably nine years ago i wouldn't be so apt to talk about now of course with time you can sit back and and dissect things and laugh about things. And yeah. But if there if there's any solace in you know going through those situations, you know, I, I came out okay. But at the time I thought my career was over. So I threw a no-hitter in my first ever start for this for this team in Belgium. A no-hitter. I was riding high. The next game I threw like a one hitter. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about everything. And I got these like really sort of compliments, but they're backhanded. They're like, oh, good job, but, you know, you threw too many pitches. (laughs) I I threw a a no-hitter, you know, and the next game was like I threw a one-hitter. They're like, well, good job, but, you know, you walked two guys. And it's like, you know, I threw a complete game, you know, or eight innings, you know, one-hitter. And these are the things. And so I felt like the pressure mounting, and then on top of that, I think things weren't socially working out because I was doing something that maybe they – they weren't used to, and they were doing things that I wasn't used to. Yeah, and nobody had really prepared me for, it, like you said. So
1: I think that that, um, that area is that gray line there is a little less blurred these days. Like I think they're becoming a little more like us, and I think people are maybe a little more prepared of what's going on over here these days. Mm-hmm. So that both sides are a little more uh, or a little less shocked with one another, or or able to kind of understand uh, the other guys point of view or situation and um I, that's why my guess anyway just from the 10 years i've been here I, it just seems like they're getting a little more serious over here and i think there's just more information out there now for those that are coming over as, as to what to expect and obviously with the right. tools today with the internet and everything you can you know do a little research and figure out okay these guys <laughs> these guys right. are maybe not the most professional
0: I mean, at this, at this time, I mean, I was on Facebook because we had it in college, and this is my, my first year after graduating, but there, nobody I met in Belgium at the time had Facebook. They didn't know what it was, and that's how, I mean, it feels so long ago, but yeah. there was no information exchange like that. I mean, the website was in, was in Flemish. You know, there was no English translation. I remember people back home saying, hey, can you write about this for us? You know, so I started a blog, and I was writing on this blog. And at the time I started seeing a girl over there and it turns out she had used to date our first baseman and I didn't know this and you know nobody told me this. And so then then that created this other social situation and he was still in love with her even though it was from ten years before. Oh, I mean they were like they were like kids. So yeah, so basically the first week of May they came to me and they said, Hey things are not working out. They never gave me a specific reason. We could sit here and probably elaborate why. And uh, I was crushed. I was you know, I was two and zero, and we had won all of our games. And but yeah, I was I was I was crushed. I and I was like, man, I can't even cut it here in Europe. You know, um, what kind of baseball career is this going to be? So that was probably one of the, those crossroads. I mean, I was 23 years old. I was in a foreign country. They just gave me my release. I was living with the, the general manager. So you basically was like, well, you can stay here until you figure out what you're going to do next. The wow. weird, the weirdest thing was the team that I turned the no-hitter against, they tried to pick me up. And, and and my team blocked it from happening. They said I was not allowed to play within the country of Belgium.
1: Wow. Okay, we, we won't say which club that was, even though that was <laughs> a while ago. <laughs> but, yeah, that's kind of an awkward situation, living with the GM that just released you. And, and it's kind of like living with that... You know that ex girlfriend after you broke up, you know, and you're still living Mm -hmm. together for a couple weeks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so it was it was really awkward, but I wanted to stay in Europe and and, and try to make it work. Especially seeing that they blocked me from trying to make it work in Belgium, I was like, well, I did I did do kind of you know well. So from from a from a baseball standpoint, I feel like there's going to be some opportunities out there. Um, So I moved out of the, the guy's place, and luckily there was a great family that lived in a farm community about. Uh, 20 minutes outside of uh, Antwerp, Belgium, and I and I went and stayed with them for for a few weeks while I got my act together. I was really really fortunate to have to have them, uh, and and that's sort of the the other experience is that you know you you never know what can happen and you, you meet people from all walks of life when you're when you're over there. And I was really fortunate that you know this this family um, took me in.
1: Was this family like you met a Belgian family? They took you in so you could figure out what you're doing now. Were they associated with the ball club or just some people you met? or?
0: No, not associated with the ball club at all. Um, my co- they had lived in Chicago, and my cousin in Chicago knew them. And they came to one of my games, and we, 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 they took me on a tour of, of the, uh, the Duval Bear Factory. And, <laughs> and and it was just sort of like a random connection in Belgium. And I was, I was so fortunate for that because I basically had to get move out of my GM's place. I had nowhere to go. I mean I my flight wasn't until September you know and they're saying well we'll change your flight for you but it's like I, I didn't want to go back yet I felt like I had more baseball in me yeah. so yeah. you know I was looking for these other opportunities and and um I just yes yeah, so I had this family they, they took me in for a few weeks I was at their farmhouse and in the middle of the countryside of Belgium and I was uh trying to work out and stay in shape so I'd like take a bus into the city every day and 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 it was like 30, 45 minute ride. And I'd go to the gym and and work out there. And, um, there was a team, the team that I threw a no hitter against, they invited me to, uh, to, to practice with them and maybe show their guys a few things. (laughs) And, uh, that's actually the first coaching experience I ever had. It was in Europe was coaching the team that I had thrown the no hitter against in Belgium and, and helping those guys out, especially the younger players there. Um, so
1: I guess you had a little extra motivation too, because you want them to shove against the, the team that just released you next time. So, you know.
0: Yeah, they ended up getting an American guy over there. That team, they were in last place, and I gave them like all my notes, and they ended up at the end of the year beating beating my my former team and they were in there in first place at the time. So oh, nice. that was awesome. Yeah. I was pretty hyped about that. But.
1: <laughs> well, there's always two sides to a story, but sure. you know, uh, it, it doesn't sound like you got a very fair shake. So you ended up staying in Europe. Uh, did you get to play again that summer anywhere else?
0: I did, uh, by the strangest, strangest story as strange as that story could be. What even, what happened next was even stranger. So I, um, heard about this, um, Israel baseball league that was starting up at the end of June. And this was at the time, May. And I emailed the, the league director and um, they, they said, yeah, we, we can place you on a team. And, and what do you think? And I was like, I, I want to play ball. I've never been to Israel. I, I mean, you know, it seems, uh, seems like a good deal. So let's give it a shot. So I, I went down to Tel Aviv at the end of June with uh, another hundred other players from all over the world. And, um, and uh, did this thing called the Israel baseball league.
1: Yeah, yeah, I heard about that, and uh, that was with Ty Erickson, and and uh, so they were they were starting up a pro league in Israel, and you you had received an offer from them before, but you weren't too sure about it, and then you end up going to Belgium, and then once that didn't work out, out then you contacted them, and next thing you know, you're in Israel.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, it was. Um If you want to talk about a culture shock for for playing baseball, I think this is really this takes the cake because, um, you know, you're in the Middle East. So this is not Europe and this is not, you know, Israel is a very westernized society, but it's still the Middle East, you know, and uh, it was also the desert and it's also the middle of the summer. So they had this idea that we were going to play six games a week. And they had all of us living in, I thought we were going to be living in like in a hotel or apartment suite, and we all were living in like this like army barrack. So it was like three or four to a room. Most of the guys in your room were not even on your team. Um, you had one key. You had really bad food. You didn't have a training staff. It was 100 degrees at game time. I mean, it was just a mess. There were transportation issues. It was, there was so many issues same time the, the the league was infused with division one you know guys that were looking for a chance to play pro ball like myself it was infused with pro uh, pro guys from australia young guys from australia that were some of the best players from from their respective leagues they brought over um about 20, 20 dominican players that either had uh you know minor league baseball experience or had some visa issues and were having trouble getting back into the States. Um, two guys that played in the Japanese league. I mean, there was, there was players from all over the world. Um, and the talent was, was, it was incredible. I mean, it was playing D one and playing against some of the top teams in the, in the country, uh, at, at GW. This, it was like that. I mean, it was in a sense, almost better than that, um, because of the international, uh, components. So you had this, Extremely high level of baseball, and then you have these fields that were being made as they were playing on them they were still making the fields and uh this total chaotic infrastructure so it was probably the most interesting baseball experience I've ever had
1: yeah that sounds like a pretty cool experience yeah whether you're living in these these uh, barracks and <laughs> with opponents and everything that's one thing but it sounds like a pretty cool international experience so that how, did that lead? Was that the only year that league um, was in existence?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a documentary about it. There's been a book written about it. Um, it was they tr- tried to make it as you know they're talking about doing the, the European um, baseball league right now, pro European, and it, it was a startup league. I didn't make it as professional as possible, which is what you want to do. But I remember they they had you know they were trying to sell tickets. On a, like a Wednesday afternoon game at five o'clock in the middle of the summer, and and, and it's just like you know nobody's going to come. They didn't build up the fan base. They they put all the games on the TV, but then they had a huge TV debt. So they they were, you know they were looking at okay if all all things break right we'll break even. Well, nothing really broke right, and they were in the red the whole time, and they still had some huge expenses that they they owed, and that the league folded after only that season. So it's pretty remarkable that it, it happened in the first place. I think there was there was a market for it. It just wasn't as big as they, as they thought. So, mm-hmm. you know, instead of bringing over, you know, a whole team of imports, you know, they could have done the other way around, which most European teams do, which is maybe have, you know, three, four five imports and, yeah. and have the rest of the you know, players be from there. So, um, there was a lot of issues. Um, but it was a, it was a crazy experience. I mean, I ended up dehydrated one game and, and ended up in the hospital on IV. I mean, and, and was out for a week. It, you know, it was one of those type of places, so, um,
1: pretty, pretty amazing story, uh, and that's where you met Ty Erickson, yeah. so, how, how did, he, he was there on the same, for the same reason, like, they brought him over from the States at that time?
0: Yeah, he came over from the States, um, he had, Basically, was friends with a guy named Raphael Bertstrom, I think we knew each other from playing in Germany at some point. I ended up being uh, yeah, on my team, and uh, we were called the Italian Tigers. And our coach was uh, probably the best softball coach in the country. They brought over a coach from the States, like ex-bigly uh, guys that, that happened to be Jewish um, because of the Israel connection. Uh, but our coach was was the only coach that had no baseball experience. He was not you know, why are you walking these guys? Yeah. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that when I'm on the mound, I, I'm just a, like, I'm kind of a, an, a jerk, you know, I don't know if this is PG 13 rated, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I, um, I got the bulldog mentality, you know, don't mess with me. I, I, I put on that game face. And when I heard this, I was so startled. I, I basically, uh, told him to, um, to shut, shut the F up. Yeah. And, um, he uh, did not take too kindly to that. Uh, he had a military background, being from Israel. And then on top of that, he was a softball coach and used to working with, with women instead of men. And Yeah, so he threw me off the team right there uh, on the field uh, the last day of the season before the playoffs started. <laughs> and uh, I I was walking off the field. I was thinking, I was like a standing ovation. There's probably like 600, 700 fans at that at night and, and one of them even from my hometown in Michigan and they were, wanted to take pictures with me and I was signing autographs and I had left the field <laughs> to stand an ovation and I would just been kicked off the team. So uh, <laughs> how Ty Erickson comes into this, That the, actually the team had a team meeting the next day um, about whether or not to let me on the, on the team um, before the start of the playoffs. And I had been an all-star that year. I was our DH and I was one of our starting pitchers. And Ty stood up for me. He was the only one at, at first to stand up for me. He said, "Hey, I was in earshot because of the meeting on the mound, and our coach basically told him off for walking guys like just you don't do that in baseball, you know." And anybody else in our in his situation, in Boomer's situation, would have would have you know talking back. You know, maybe it wasn't the right thing to say, but you don't do that. Yeah. So Ty stood up for me, and when I found out about this through the grapevine, I was like, ah, I, I should. Be friends with that guy. So Yeah. Those um, are the
1: kinda kinda instant friends you make right there, you know, when someone's got yeah. your back like that and he didn't really have any reason to necessarily, you know, stand up for you.
0: Yeah. So that was um that's how I met Saudi and I met a lot of great guys in that league. Um, we on my team was uh, Vladimir Guerrero's brother, um Julio Guerrero. Um, cool very interesting character. We had a guy from Japan who spoke know English, and would do yoga uh, beh- underneath the tree outside of the uh, field uh, during the game before he would come in and pitch. And <laughs> oh. It was like it was like uh, I don't even know how to. It was like watching like a, like, a, like a movie of like a cast of characters. It's um, like
1: your own. It's like your international version of Major League. <laughs> you know? Yes,
0: exactly. That's <laughs> what was going on. So. Yeah.
1: That your so? Did you end up staying in Israel? Did you get kicked off the team when you?
0: <laughs> no, so they so Ty gave an impassioned speech and uh, they let me back on the team. So I, I did finish up there. It was the last week of the season, anyway.
1: So another awkward um, si- situation uh, to finish yeah. off the year. So. Uh, so, you spent one year in Israel, then I, I know your overseas story didn't end there. So, w- what came up next? You know, at that point, you went back to the U.S., or did you go play winter ball in Australia, or w- well, how did, what was the next?
0: Yeah. So, I went back to the U.S. and um, was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And I uh, got a job doing um, what was I doing? Uh, paralegal work. I thought maybe I should like go to law school, so I'm going to you know get some ex- office experience. So I was working on the hill, you know, as a paralegal, and basically um, hated every you know minute that I was in the office and, and coming from Europe and being on the ball field. I was like, man, this is this is I can't do this, you know, I can't. Yeah. Uh, I was studying for the LSAT at the time. I think I took the LSAT, and then I got a call from my roommate in Australia. I mean, sorry, in Israel was from Australia. Uh, his name was Adam Crabb, uh, otherwise known as Crabby. And his team was looking to reinforce their, their rosters in Adelaide. And he, he called me up in, like, November. He's like, uh, what are you doing for Christmas? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm in D.C. right now working. He said, uh, why don't you come down to Adelaide and, and play ball? Oh, you know, I was, on, I was immediately there. I, you don't know, have to think about that.
1: Which club in Adelaide? Like, was this the South Australian Baseball League? South Australian League, yeah. Okay.
0: It was Southern Districts. They're in the first league, at the time this is this predates the ABL, so um, you know they had the Claxton Shield going on for guys that were Australian, but mm-hmm. as an import, like you want to play in the first league for one of the state for one of the states or territories there. So yeah. uh, this was just a high up league for me, and um, to reunite with uh, my roommate from from Israel, and uh, yeah, go go see you another part of the world. So the, the adventure continued that, that first year. So this would be my, in one calendar year, I played professionally in three countries in Belgium and Israel, and then in Australia.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that's probably the, the best state league there is in arguably in Australia, at least today. Um, that and probably Western Australia from what I've heard. Um, but that's a matter of opinion, I guess. So Just a quick pause for our sponsor, Sambat. IBC is now a supplier for Sambat in Europe. So any clubs looking for team orders can contact me at d.burns at baseballjobsoverseas.com and we'll hook you up. Okay, so you're in Australia and did you join them for the second part of the season, like after Christmas or right then in November?
0: Yeah, this is kind of, well, it was... They went on break for Christmas, and there was a rule in the league where you had to to be eligible to play in the playoffs. You had to play, I think, before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So there was one game before Christmas. So they they flew me down there. This is kind of crazy. I I flew from Detroit to Adelaide. You know, if anybody's ever done it before, it's like a forty hour, forty five hour journey. Yeah. You know the one the one flight I had from L.A. to Sydney. No, sorry, I went from L.A. to Hong Kong. And I didn't get the proper visa. So I was in Hong Kong on a layover for like eight or nine hours. And they told me that I couldn't enter in the country. So I was like scrambling. I was like trying to figure out what that meant. I had no idea. I needed a visa to get into Australia. I didn't need one of these in Europe. Yeah. So I was calling the team at like two in the morning. And I had to pay like – it was like really shady. I had to pay like at the airport like thousands of Hong Kong dollars, which ended up only being like 250 bucks. But I – you know. It was, like, shocking to me. I didn't have any money at the time. I was 23. I was a a European professional baseball player. You know, I was broke. So (laughs) I uh, I was like, oh, hopefully the club will reimburse me for this. And uh, they let me on the flight. I flew down there. I got in, 45-hour journey. And they, like, gave me my uniform. You've got to make it to this game. You've got to play the game to be eligible for the playoffs. And I'm like, I'm not ready to pitch. They're like, we don't even care. We're just going to put you in. So I got to the field. And um, they're like, so we're going to. Give them a pinch of that bat and then we'll just take them out of the game, you know, somewhere like the third or fourth inning. So yeah, they gave me a pinch of that bat. They're like, Don't you know, don't worry, don't do anything. I just hit like twenty in Israel in a pretty good league. It was the second highest average on our team. It was our DH when I didn't pitch. So I'm like, you know, I can swing it a little bit. I took a pitch, then i and i remember going oh man i'm just gonna swing if it's down the piping <laughs> okay. and 45 hours on the plane my my muscles just were not firing the proper way and uh um, first swing down in australia cracked my bat um <laughs> by the way it was a sand bat so it lasted me all all a year uh in israel without breaking i mean hundreds and hundreds of, of, of swings and, and hits you know and first swing in australia and it, I, I shattered it and uh but it blooped in for a single. So, Hey, you know, I'm like feeling pretty fancy and <laughs> I move up, I move up to second base on a ground out. And then I, I don't remember what happened next. So I was pretty jet lag. I think I fell asleep on second base, got picked off. So I think everybody, you know, momentum was sort of crushed there. And then I went back to the, the, the dugout and literally like slapped down on the floor and like, went to sleep. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that was, uh, so I was in – anyways, because of that, uh, they, they had a rule now like where you have to play by December 1st. I think it's actually called like the Princeton rule in, in, in South Australia where you have to play by December 1st.
1: Um, yeah, there's so, – yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty cool story in itself as well. Hey guys, I'm going to stop right there for today and you'll have to tune into the next episode to hear the rest of the story with Boomer. Uh, he's got a great finish to this story and lots more detail and it's an entertaining one, so make sure you tune in. If you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at David underscore Burns Jr. Also, if you want to take your career or if you know someone else that wants to take their career overseas, head over to www.internationalbaseballcommunity.com. Check out the website. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at d.burns at baseballjobsoverseas.com. That's d.burns at baseballjobsoverseas.com. All right. Hope to hear from you guys and we'll catch you on the next episode with Boomer Prinstein.